Well, this morning, Pastor Tim is on vacation. He uh, and his family, I hope, are getting some respite uh, and some refreshment together. Uh, And I hope that you uh, are praying for he and his family. uh, And I hope that you are thankful for the way that he rightly divides the word of truth for us week in uh, and week out. And I praise the Lord for him. And I'm thankful uh, to step into the pulpit this morning and share with you. Uh, Because as much as I love Tim, it's his word that we want to minister to our hearts and to our souls. And so as long as we have the word, no matter who is standing in this place sharing it, uh, as long as they are sharing God's word, we know that he can impact our lives and draw us deeper into a relationship with him. So uh, let me quickly uh, pray again before we start. Father, we do want you to teach and to instruct us. We thank you for the precious gift of your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that is in those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we pray that you would just illuminate the scriptures to us this morning. Teach us more about you, who you are, about how you love us, and how you desire us to look to you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to talk about the fact that life is hard. We live in a fallen, broken world. And that is evident every time we pick up a magazine, click on the internet, turn on a TV, walk outside of our front door, we see the hurts, the pains, and the brokenness, whether it's in acts of violence in our world, shootings in schools and churches and synagogues and mosques and everywhere else. We see people uh, being hurt and being attacked. We see natural disasters. We see wildfires and hurricanes ravishing our countries and and people's homes being destroyed. And and we see them in the depths of despair, not knowing how to deal with these things. And perhaps you're here today and and maybe you're facing financial troubles, which is a lot of pressure in our lives or, or parenting issues or struggles in your marriage, or perhaps there's sin that you're dealing with in your life that, that, that seems to have a grip on you. Perhaps there's broken relationships at work or at school or uh, in your daily lives and and, and you you wake up and you see these things and it it seems overwhelming and and it seems daunting. But if we really stop to think about the difficulties that we're we're facing in our lives and and when we step back and if if all we're doing is looking at, at the problems that we face, it's easy for us to think that this is hopeless. And for those who don't know Christ, that is the way that they feel each and every day because that is exactly what it is. It is hopeless for them at times. The best that they can hope for is to to have fewer troubles and trials and problems in this world and they have no hope for what is to come. But for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we have great hope. This is something that we've been talking about as uh, with our youth ministry on Wednesday nights for the last couple uh, weeks, and it's something that has resonated with me in my own soul. We have hope when we are in Christ. But as Pastor Tim reminded us last Sunday night in the first of his two messages on the noetic effect of sin... Even though we are in Christ, we we have broken thinking and broken thought processes. And it is so easy for our broken thinking to, to make us think 
that even in Christ that, that we are beyond hope. So we must constantly be reminding ourselves of the power of the grace of God in our lives when we are in Christ. You see, the amazing thing about the grace of God is that, that it is all-sufficient and it can bring healing to all of our brokenness. The grace of God is the reason that we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are facing great persecution. And that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. So I'd encourage you to come out and be part of that service where we're going to reflect on some of the brokenness in this world and how it's affecting our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to pray for them, including our own Craig and Shelley Schaefer who are facing persecution and who have had their house burned down. But in all of that, they have a hope that is eternal. And they understand the grace of God in their lives. But it's difficult. And so we should be praying for them to encourage them. And and so that the Holy Spirit will continue to work in and through them. And so I hope that you will join us for that tonight. Because we want them to know that we are standing and supporting them in prayer. And we want them to know that they serve a God who has not forgotten. Who is not uh, unaware of what they're going through. You see, God's grace is kind of like a multi-tool in our lives. When we truly understand the depth of forgiveness and love that he offers us in Christ Jesus, we can learn to apply that grace to any hurt, to any pain, to any joy, to any sorrow, to any situation that we find ourselves facing in this fallen and broken world. And we're going to be looking at James chapter 1 together this morning. And in James 1, this is going to give us a glimpse of of what that kind of understanding of God's grace looks like in our lives. And one of the main themes of James' writing is that if you are truly born again, your life will be different. You will be marked and changed by the grace of God. And if, if you really are in Christ, you will be marked and changed by the grace of God. And, and we see that in our passage this morning. So open with me, if you're not there yet, to James chapter 1, where he begins, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That's actually where we're going to stop this morning, because, because... Primarily, I want us to truly look at the grace of God in our most difficult times. This passage of scripture that we see in James helps us to understand the grace of God in in our most difficult times. You see, these, these verses were written to believers. And he tells them, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I have, I have found it amazing as I continue to study scripture more and more how many times we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are told you are going to have trouble. You are going to face trials. You are going to face persecution. You are going to face things in your life that you wish you did not have to go through. It's because life is hard. And we all face those things in our daily lives. And having a relationship with God through Christ does not mean that it will be easy. I think too often people get the implication in that, that having a relationship with God through Christ means that it's going to be easy, but it doesn't. 
Having a relationship doesn't mean that it's going to be easy for you in your daily lives. You need to understand that trusting Christ as your Savior is not going to remove every obstacle in your life. And sometimes we struggle with that. There's, there's, this, there's this underlying issue in our lives that, that we think when I put my faith and trust in God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that, that now that I've done that, that God should make all my paths easy. And while there is immense blessing that comes from knowing Christ as our Savior, never are we told that our paths are going to be easy. And in fact, James tells the brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is, this is a guarantee given to them by James. Not if, but when you face trials. They are coming. And, but the beauty is... The beauty is, is that we're going to continue to look at through this passage of Scripture is that, that we don't go through those trials alone. Natalie's song was perfect this morning. Jesus Christ, my living hope. He, he, was, he died, was buried, and put in the grave, but he rose again victoriously. And he is our living hope sitting at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. You see... Even though we're not guaranteed that life will be easy, we are given many, many great guarantees. And the one that I want us to focus on first is that God's grace is able to sustain us in any and every situation. That's why I said when we began, I really want us to see God's grace as the multi-tool in God's toolbox. When When we are in need of healing the broken relationship that we have with God because of our sin... His grace is sufficient for that. He, he knew your sin. He knew mine. He knew that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we can have forgiveness and have a relationship with him. But God is also not surprised by the hurts and the pains and the trials that we're facing. And we need to know and to understand that. That we serve a sovereign God who has these things all under his control. And he is allowing these things in our lives. And, and, and in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, we see Paul wrestling with, with some things in his own life and some struggles and some hurts and some pains and, 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 and things that he would probably rather not be facing. But he tells us this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, that it should leave me. Three times I begged God, take care of this. Why, why can't you just make this go away? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I, I, I pleaded with God to make it go away and God said that, that my grace is going to be sufficient for you in this terrible, dark, difficult situation that you're facing. And that when you walk through that situation in my grace that I'm going to provide for you, then then you will glorify me in your weakness, that the power of Christ is going to, to rest on you and, and, and you will glorify me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, I wish I could be a little bit more like the Apostle Paul here. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. But if you're like me, when you're weak, you don't like it. If you're, like, if you're like me and there's calamity in your life, not a big fan. I, I, I don't want calamity in my life. 
When I'm facing hardships and, and people are hurling insults at me and I'm facing persecution, I, 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 my natural inclination is not to go, praise the Lord, for when I am weak, God, you've made me strong. But that is what we're called to, and that is the promise that we're given, is that God's grace is sufficient to meet those needs. If we'll turn to God in grace in those difficult, dark moments of our lives. But too often, Chad thinks, oh, I, I can handle this on my own, and, and I can push through, and I can, I can do all the things that are necessary for me to get through this. And I don't rely on the grace of God in my life. Be like Paul. Don't be like Chad. Because God uses these things, and even these events and these difficulties that we face are, are a gift of God's grace in your life because he's molding you and making you into the man or the woman that he wants you to be. And if you're outside of a relationship with Christ, he can use calamities and difficulties and insults and trials and hardships and persecutions and weakness to draw you into that saving relationship with him. God uses all things to draw us deeper and closer to himself. For those of you who are my age or older, you're, you're perhaps familiar with fact, faith, and feelings. That's something that kind of came out from the Campus Crusade for Christ many years ago, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I want us to understand that when, when James starts with this passage out, this fairly difficult teaching, he says, count it all joy. James appeals to, to the emotions that, that the Christians are facing, and he says, count it all joy. But notice he doesn't tell them everything will be joy. Everything will be full of joy and happiness in your life. He says, count it all joy. We have to make a, a, a purposeful effort to count things as joy, even when we don't feel joyful. Even when we don't feel like our, 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 uh, our faith in Christ is, is making a difference. We need to lean into God in those moments, understand his grace, and, and apply that grace to our lives, and then we'll be able to count it all joy. And when our lives have been changed by the gospel, when we truly know Jesus Christ, our lives must show it. Part of the evidence that you and I can display to the world around us that is lost in darkness and that is hopeless and in need of Christ, what we can do is our lives can display an ability to count it all as joy, even when we're facing difficulty and darkness. And I believe that Craig and Shelley have, have been a great example of that for us. There, there is no way that, that anybody would want something like they're enduring to happen to them. But they have been able to exhibit the grace of God in their lives in a very difficult situation. And, and James is, is, in his book, he lays these things out as if this is one way for you and I to know that our faith is truly genuine. In fact, John MacArthur, in this passage of Scripture in his commentary, gives this illustration to help us to understand the, the, what he's setting up here. And he says, To test the genuineness of a diamond, jewelers often place it in clear water, which causes a real diamond to sparkle with special brilliance. An imitation stone, on the other hand, will have almost no sparkle to it, all, to it at all. When the two stones are placed side by side, even an untrained eye can easily tell the difference. When the two are placed side by side, even an untrained eye can tell the difference. And James is saying, you know what, I'm, when we place people side by side, because life is hard and people are going through difficulties and they're going through trials, the world will see your joy. 
They will see that you are counting it all as joy when you're facing trials. And they'll know the, the difference. They'll, they'll see the genuineness of your faith. Because real faith, saving faith, will be marked by true joy no matter what this world throws at us. And it doesn't mean that we're going to feel joyful all the time. But we'll be able to lean in to our Savior. We'll be able to lean in to the one who has accomplished all that is necessary for our salvation. We'll be able to lean in to the one who knows all that we're going through and has given us grace to get through those things. You see, no matter what these early Christians were facing, James told them that you can be like the parable of the sower, and you can be like the weeds that were sown on the rocky ground whose faith popped up, but as soon as the trials came in, it choked them out, and they died because their faith wasn't genuine. Or you can be like that which is put in good soil, the seed that was sown on good soil, and it it raised up, and it gave a a crop, and and it produced... You need to have a genuine faith. And and James is letting them know that that's what their faith needs to look like. And so we see, I started this section talking about facts, faith, and feelings. I mentioned the Campus Crusade years ago. When I was a young believer, I was really affected by the Campus Crusade for Christ illustration of fact, faith, and feelings. And you see it up here on the screen behind me. On the right-hand side, you see this train. Our lives are like a train, and, and, and if we build our lives on fact, and uh, our faith is like the coal car that fuels our lives and fuels that engine that drives us, and, and our feelings are kind of in one of the cars behind. They will follow along our lives if we are uh, being driven by fact and fueled by faith. That's the illustration uh, that Bill Bright kind of came up with to try to talk about these things. But I actually, no offense to Campus Crusade, the great ministry, Bill Bright's a great man that loved the Lord, but I actually don't like his illustration. I like this one better. I like faith, fact, feeling. You see, because when we start with faith and we allow the facts to fuel our faith, I think that's a much healthier thing. You see, because, because sometimes in my life, I can, I can be driven by facts, and I can be driven by the fact that I face trials, and I'm facing persecution, and I'm facing difficulties, and I've got struggles, and I've got these things going on. And I can focus on that, and, and I can make that the focus and the driving of my engine. And yes, I'm going to allow my faith to fuel that situation, but I think that that's still a little bit out of whack. I would much rather start with my faith and start with the fact that I know a God who redeemed me and called me out of darkness and into a relationship with him through his glorious son. He's extended his grace to me. I'd rather start with that and then fuel my life with yes, and I am facing trials. But what does God's word say about that? My faith, my faith has told me that I can count it all joy. Now, I might not know exactly what that means, but if I'm driven by my faith, then I'll find out how that fact can be applied in my life. And I will uh, be able to see and to know these things. And And our passage tells us, count it all joys, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know. That's one thing that I do like about this. Our feelings can be controlled and driven by what we know. 
And, and that's why I think this illustration is actually a healthy one. Because our feelings should not be the thing guiding us and driving us. We should be driven by what God's word tells us, what we know. And then we can apply it to all of the situations that you and I are facing in this world. And when we know something, it's not an emotional response. When we know something, we can continue to speak that truth into our lives, can continue to challenge ourselves with what God tells us, and try as best as we can to live out our faith by allowing our feelings to follow along with what we know and what we see in this world around us. But the reality of this passage is it does tell us that we will be facing various kinds of trials. Our passage says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Well, boy, isn't that encouraging this morning. Not only are you going to face trials, but they're going to come from every direction in every which way, and sometimes you're not going to know which way is up. That's Chad's new American paraphrase of that passage. Because trials come in different forms and different kinds, and there's as many different kinds of trials that we face in this world as there are different kinds of people and personalities. And you know, you might go through something in your life that is a trial for you, but because of who, who I am and how God's wired me, that's not a struggle for me. But I may be facing trials that, that you look and you're like, boy, that's not a big deal. The reality is, is that, that that's not the point here. The point is that we're facing all these different kinds of trials. And, and we need to be able to find that place in our lives where we are so trusting in the grace of God that we can count it all joy. But I want us to just briefly here look at three kind of universal forms of trials that are kind of universal to the human Experience. And the first of those is suffering. And suffering is something that, that comes from external pressure, like, like persecution. It comes from outside of us. And it comes in a lot of forms, but, it, but it's generally not necessarily caused by us. It's someone around us that, that is, is causing uh, some kind of suffering and causing pressure on us from the outside. It could be a trial at work. It could be a boss asking you to do something that is against your conscience and you need to take a stand at that. It could be somebody at school that, that is asking you to compromise your faith or do something that you uh, know the Lord would not have you to do. And, and we may face persecution in this world, but oftentimes it's not like that which Craig and Shelley and others Christians around the world are facing. We face pressure to conform and we face broken relationships and hurts that are caused when we choose to take a stand for Christ. We, ta- we, we, we face animosity when we uh, live our lives with conviction. And God, in His grace, is sufficient to get us through all of those things. Many of us are familiar with the verse that tells us to set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. We find that in 1 Peter chapter 3. But sometimes we forget that context is king. So let's look at 1 Peter three thirteen through 17. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, 
if that should be God's will than for doing evil. We like to say, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. We forget that the context is when you are being reviled and persecuted for your faith, when you are taking a stand for righteousness' sake, that's when you have to set aside your heart, make a decision that Jesus Christ really is who he said he is. He is Lord. And then you can make that defense of your faith to those who are around you. Yes, this does apply to every day of our lives, but very specifically, this is talking about when we are facing persecution. And God's grace is sufficient when we are facing those outside pressures. The next kind of uh, trial that we face is struggles that I want to look at. And we might refer to these as the daily struggles of life. Maybe it's called, you, you call it the daily grind. It, it, it's just the, the, the trudging along daily, facing frustration and, and angst and anxieties and all these internal pressures that we begin to place on ourselves. These, these aren't things that come from outside. These are things that come from inside. They're worry and, and anxiety and all of those things. Now, originally, the outside struggle might be external but the real struggle that we face is that we internalize these things if you're facing health trouble or financial struggles or any other difficulty that's an outside pressure but then you begin to internalize it and that's when life really gets hard because you begin to look at your problem and and see it as the biggest thing in your life you begin to question why god do you allow this to take place And someone may try to encourage us or remind us of the goodness of God in in these situations, but but we don't feel like God's going to work all things together for good. We don't see how he's on the move. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 tells us this, because God doesn't want us to forget that he is at work. We read, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God says, I see you. I see how you're laboring. I I see how you're pushing along. and, And I want you to know your labor is not in vain. But sometimes we just continue to struggle because we can't imagine how God might use this for his good and for his glory. Because we're looking at it with Chad's eyes and not the eternal eyes of our loving Father. And we're trying to make sense of these things in my own mind, but, but, but we, we, we don't understand because we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. We don't see the eternal value that any of these things could have. But in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul, Paul gives the church there a, an opportunity for them to see, you know, he pulls back the curtain a little bit and says, sometimes the grace of God in our lives that we don't pay attention to, it's so God can use us in the future. And let me just give you one little glimpse of how that looks. In verses 3 and 4 of Second Corinthians 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted from God. The grace of God doesn't promise to remove hurts, but it does promise that when you have hurts, you may someday be able to use those hurts, those pains, those trials, those persecutions that you face and pour into the lives of someone else. And if you're here this morning and you're going, that's just still not worth it, 
I'd encourage you to examine your faith. That's what James is saying. Because real faith tells us that that is worth it. That God's glory is worth it. And that is God's grace in your life. And I don't stand here trying to, to act like I've got that all figured out. It's a daily struggle. We all need to remind ourselves of that. But by grace, he gives us this promise that he will be with us, he will sustain us, he will comfort us, he will guide us, he will direct us, and he will use these pains and trials in our life for his glory. And that has to be enough for us. We have to understand that God's glory is worth it. And the third category of universal trials that we all face is sin. This is spiritual pressure. This is the war against our flesh that goes on. This is temptation from the outside, but then the war against the flesh and to to take a stand and to obey the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this battle is exhausting and it can wear on us, especially when we try to battle on our own. And there's no better example in Scripture of this than David and in Psalm 32 and in Psalm 51, we, we see this example in David's life. In Psalm, in Psalm 32, we, we see David saying that like his bones are ready to be crushed. David's trying to hide his sin. He's trying to deal with his brokenness on his own. And, and he says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away day and night. I just felt like, God, you're oppressing me. Your weight is heavy. Your hand is heavy upon me and my strength is just sapped. It's like I can't do anything. But then in Psalm 51, in between there, there was, there was a confrontation and, and, and David sees his sin and instead of trying to deal with his brokenness on his own, he, he cries out to God. And we see these beautiful words, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, and renew that right spirit within me, God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. God, when I have confessed my sin to you, I need you to create the cleanness and the purity in me by your grace. And then I'm going to be able to pour that out into the lives of others. That's always been the way that God has worked in his children's lives. So how do we get from the trials that we face to to create in me a clean heart and restore that joy of my salvation and help me pour that out into the lives of others well our passage gives us god's prescribed solution steadfastness now the reality is is that much many of us here this morning would rather not have it be steadfastness but how about like immediacy god how about how about uh immediacy immediacy would be a great way uh for for me to be able to deal with these things But what James wants us to know, what verse 3 tells us is, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So what is steadfastness? In Scripture, that word is used in Hebrews 12 to, to say, Enduring chastisement. Be steadfast. To bear up under persecution in Romans 8. Be steadfast. To maintain perseverance in Hebrews chapter 3. To have stability in your faith. Colossians chapter 2. To persevere in your service of the king. In 1 Corinthians 15. And we have an enemy. So steadfastness means resisting the devil. In 1 Peter 5.9. Where he's the roaring lion. 
seeking to devour us. And it means that we defend our Christian principles in Galatians 5. That's what steadfastness means. And to do that, being steadfast means we must wait on the Lord and rest in him. And that is sometimes the most difficult thing for us to do, finding contentedness, our contentedness in God and God alone. Finding our contentedness in, in the joy that he brings from leaning into our relationship with Christ. In the song that we've been learning this month, that Pastor Mike has been introducing to us, it fits so in so well with this idea of understanding that we lean into God and, and he is my rock and my redeemer. In verse 2 it says, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, strong defender of my weary heart. God, when I am facing struggles and I am weary, I need you to be my rock and my redeemer and my strong defender. You are my sword to fight the cruel deceiver and my shield against his hateful darts. When When I'm facing temptation and spiritual attack, Lord, I need you to be my defender. And your word is my attack on the enemy. And in your word alone, because I can't do it on my own. You are my song when enemies surround me and my hope when tides of sorrows rise. You are my joy when trials are abounding and your faithfulness is my refuge in the night. This song reminds us to take your eyes off of you and put them on the Lord. Because that's what we need to do. Because he is the wellspring of wisdom, of life, of joy, of comfortness, of contentedness, of peace, of satisfaction, of everything. He is the only one that can bring about wholeness and completeness in our lives. And, and he doesn't just do that immediately. He uses these things that we face to bring us deeper, to draw us closer, and to conform us into his image. In our lives, if we're looking at earthly things and we take our eyes off of Christ, it is hopeless. And we will get desperate. And we'll never be able to make sense of these things. And we'll never be able to count them all as joy. But when we take our eyes off of our problems and put them on Christ, it reminds us of what is eternal and what will last forever. And because of the gospel, we should know about eternity and we should desire to have that eternal life and we should live for that eternity even now. In verse 3 of O Lord, Our Rock and Our Redeemer, it says, the ultimate solution for our various trials is the gospel. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, my gracious savior of my ruined life, my guilt and cross were laid on your shoulders. In my place you suffered, bled, and died. You rose, the grave and death are conquered. You broke my bonds of sin and shame. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, may all my days bring glory to your name. Understand God's grace. Apply it to your life. And understand that when you do that, you'll be able to count it all joy when you're facing trials of various kinds. And you know that it's going to produce steadfastness and that steadfastness is going to work in your life when you continue day by day walking with Christ and being faithful to what he has called you to. And then, ultimately, we will be glorified. We'll be in eternity with our King. We'll be complete and lacking nothing. And there will be no more hurts, no more pains, And no more sorrows. 
And it's easy to preach a message like this and, and afterwards probably people will walk away and go, man, that Pastor Chad, he's got it all together. Well, let me tell you, Pastor Chad doesn't have it all together. That's why Pastor Chad needs God's word to speak into my life. And you need it to speak into your life. Were it not for God's grace, I wouldn't even be here with you. Leaning into Jesus and leaning into the gospel and, and, and trying to struggle along this way with you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. Allow the gospel to penetrate your life. Remind yourselves of God's grace and goodness daily. Then you can count it all joy. And when you see a brother or sister in Christ that's struggling, come alongside them, encourage them. Don't beat them down. Say, say how can I help you to see your trials and to count it joy? How can I alleviate the burdens and therefore lift up the body of Christ? You see, Paul Tripp, who writes a lot of books and who I respect greatly, has encouraged me. He wrote a book called Suffering the Gospel, Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And in a promotion video for it, he said this, God put me in a place where I actually began to believe that his grace is sufficient. It's made perfect in my weakness. And those hammers on me that were taking place because of his suffering were hammers of an artist changing the shape of my heart so that I would believe in a more, deeper, fuller way what I had preached to others for years. And if this is what it takes for God to produce that in me, this is all been worth it my hope for you this morning is that you can reach a place in your life where you are so in love with the lord you have an understanding of the grace of god you are pursuing him in your life and being steadfast keeping your eyes fixed on him and you can come to the place where where you can say that it's all worth it lord the trials that I'm facing, the things that I'm enduring, and I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I know, Lord, that you're going to walk me through these things and that even these trials are evidences of grace in my life. But I want all of us to walk away asking this question, which kind of person are you when you face the trials and the fires in life? Are you the person trying to do it all on your own, like David was in Psalm 32? Are you the one who is trying to get along without God's grace? You can't. It is hopeless. Or maybe you're a person who thinks you have faith, but when the trials come, your faith is so shaken. And so your faith can't sustain you, and it can't give you joy, and it can't push you deeper into a relationship with Christ. And if it can't do that, you have to ask, is it real faith? And can it actually save you if it can't sustain you? But my hope is that we who are here this morning will know who Jesus is. We'll understand the complete power of God's grace in our lives. That we will be pursuing steadfastly our love with, of Jesus. And ultimately that we will be made complete, lacking nothing. And we will be able to count it all as joy. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to know and to understand, to truly believe that your grace is sufficient for all things. I know there are people with hurts and pains 
And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to minister one to another. Helping us to pursue that deeper relationship with Christ, to lean into our relationship with Jesus, and to know that you will work all things together for good for those who love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.